you space burgers out there and especially manuel garcia upped his uh patron amount from five dollars to 20 per month really appreciate that it helps the show stay ad free thanks to contributions from listeners just like you i very much appreciate it let's get into part two great conversation with artist comedian illustrator interesting individual human being jeff tice okay cool i won't worry about a second one okay. um yeah i might go i'm gonna go see if there's a beer downstairs hey great yeah i'll be I'm right gonna, back okay it's like beer 1a like it's just the first beer <laughs> isn't ever. it a lager Kona yeah, long, yeah longboard lager yep yeah that is pretty drinkable but i think That's... that ties into what we started uh with with um Everyone has a beer that they would say, this is the most drinkable. You know, some yeah, people just yeah, tie yeah. in to go, I, if, if I, uh, <laughs> you have this uh, imperial milk stout. I just drink it all day. Nah. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, a whole country is like Guinness, the most drinkable. You're like, I don't know if it is. I don't know if that whole country is right. <laughs> we left off talking about uh, Edward Hopper and then like being prolific. I think I keep wanting to go back. So I'll work my way back yeah. to a couple things that came up. But I think tying into what we start or what we left off on a mutual friend and person we are fans of being Dave clock, who has this weird Midwestern work ethic with (laughs) art is just like, yeah, yeah, you just, you just got to do it. You know, you You just do it. You just, and then the ideas that come into his head, I don't under, I don't know if he fully grasps and I think he – here's my theory. I think he secretly does and he knows he's like yeah. t- tapped into a vein that he doesn't want yeah. to jinx. So that yeah. he's just like, I'll never really talk about it. I'll just pretend like, eh, it's just the uh, – I'm just, just working. Yeah. But I, he, I think that too. Yeah. He, I, I, he gets – the way he stores stuff away and goes, oh, sweet. If someone asks me to do something maybe about birds, I'll pitch yeah. this idea because I have this really say, cool yeah. idea. But – when he was doing the meltdown posters and when that's such an enormous amount of stuff to churn out, not just printing, not four yeah. color prints on your yeah. own, but the drawing, the inking it, the coloring of each part. It's, it's an insane yeah. undertaking every week. And what, what I love about Dave, obviously Dave is, he is my favorite artist, honestly, like I behind me is like, those are all Dave. Those are all Dave posters besides yeah. the one in the fire. But I have the only thing hanging are Dave posters in my office. But he, uh, and it's something that I think I tried to, you see a lot of artists who are, a lot of comedians who are fans of Dave. But Dave is so incredible. I don't even have the right word, but I, at the storytelling aspect of it. His his illustrations have so much meat and and story and narrative to them. Even if they don't make sense, they they have something to say that you just look at and you're just like, oh my god, like that is. A... And then on top of that, his that work ethic that has also complete like a symptom of that is just the technique that he uses. That's so detailed and so perfectly done with the pens that just alone in the just the form of it is mind blowing. And then on top of that, he has these beautiful stories and, and concepts and, and ideas inside of that technique. Cause I think there's a lot of things you could draw that it kind of goes back to the still life. You could, Dave could draw a still life and it would look unbelievable because of his technique and detail and lighting and the way he draws. But he's also chosen to then take that to the level of whatever the subject matter he does, you know, like the, I can't even describe, you know, exactly what he does with, you know, like an elephant with like hands and, you know, wrapping yeah. around. It's just these <laughs> surreal, but perfectly proportional illustrations. And so 
they're just magical. They have so much life and magic to them and at every point. And I think that's what's so fascinating about Dave. And then on top of that, he's he has that work ethic of like just holding it in your hand. You're like, holy shit, I can't believe someone made this. And yeah, it's that's hard what to find I, art that feels like that. Completely agree. That's what I yeah. want. I want something that takes me somewhere, makes me feel something, makes me just rethink what I think a human being is capable of conceptually and as far as uh, actually bringing that to life. And then, you know, he's on social media. So he sees all the stuff. He he went to art school. He, it's not like it's just happening. He's aware of sometimes he'll be very minimal. Sometimes he'll be very intricate where I'll be looking and like, ah, I get kind of mad. Like that's in there hidden way in there. (laughs) You know, he just thought, yeah, "Ah, I got the time, but that might've taken an extra hour to add in just a little, just the grains on a piece of wood or something and the coloring that goes with it. And, and then to think about the layering he, and he also is so good at the printing side, like the, the technical aspect of the printing. One of my favorite meltdown posters that I have, uh, that I bought when I was, I was there for two years that I would go every Wednesday and just buy a poster from him. That was like, one of the driving factors of going to the show besides the comedy, but I would just want to buy a Dave poster. Uh, it's, it's has a uh, multiple hands coming down from the top. Uh, and it's like kind of a blue and a red uh, printing and the hands are perfectly done, but it's not the most detailed illustration that Dave can do, obviously, mm-hmm. but the way that he overprinted them and the way that the inks interact with each other, it creates these incredible, intersections of color and new colors because of the blue and the red intersecting so there's these beautiful purples and just really nice gradients of color within the printing and it was just because dave is a master knowing if i just use these two colors that'll then add five more colors by the way that they're mixing and the way that i've drawn this and so in in practice a pretty technically simple illustration that he's turned into this masterful work by just understanding the process and <laughs> yeah. using those inks in a very intelligent way. And I always look at that and I'm, it, it is one of those moments. Like I'm not a, a jealous artist for the most part. I get inspired by people. I don't get, I have friends who are like, God damn it. They get mad at artists. <laughs> and I, I am normally the person who was like, that's amazing. I get excited about it. But there are a few Dave posters that I'm like, shut up. <laughs> like, <laughs> I get, I get mad because <laughs> they're so good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in documentaries where someone just, they, there's always kind of an aw shucksy, yeah, I just fell into it. But they fell into it because they understood a combustion engine, then they also happened to understand coding. <laughs> and you're like, well, who would know those two things and intersect them in that way? Yeah. Dave's kind of like that, where he now doesn't really do any of his own screen printing. But I remember yeah. when we were doing our first live show per, for Professor Blastoff, we went over to his place where he was printing at the time, which was just tiny. And but he had yeah. a pretty good setup there, and he yeah we'll knock these right out. And we left at four in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I had a flight at like seven, so I didn't sleep. I just oh went my home. god! I think I laid in bed for twenty minutes just to kind of catch my breath. Packed up these posters, yeah. flew to New York, and oh at the it, because things kept going wrong. Things that he was going, oh dang it! You know I couldn't blow yeah. out the screen the way I thought I could. I, this emulsion, something's up with it. Learning all the so then the next time. I go print with him is not that long later, a year or two later. And he's like, exactly what you're saying. If I put this blue and this red right next to each other, when I start pulling them, if I pull sideways, as opposed to where I would normally pull this way, it gives me the blue up here is the sky. And then the red down here below, but every pull gets them closer together, mucks up that ink. And pretty soon I have this weird purple and every print is different. Different. Yeah. And then he was working on foil and then he was working on like six colors. And so learning that, learning the combustion engine, knowing kind of the technical details. I just love when people have the, the, the completeness of, and you just talked about like doing oil painting, doing stuff on maybe a tablet, or if you mess around with, um, I'm trying to think of that program that everyone started using. Procreate. Procreate. And everyone yeah, was yeah. just like, oh, this. So if you only knew Procreate, someone like you that had worked with physical paint or paint or a gouache would go, oh, you're yeah. missing so much stuff. Everything yeah. you add to your sort of tool belt gives you the ability to make something that would elicit that emotion in another artist of like, how yeah. did you think of this? How did you yeah, do like, it? It just comes from the, the reps. Totally the reps. And, and I think uh, I love what I, I gravitate towards is 
I think an art does it so well. And I think that's why fine art, fine art in the definition of like traditional mediums and, and materials. So there's something about that tactile. That's I think what I was always chasing with digital art. There's always, uh, <laughs> the quote is from someone who you wouldn't think it's from, but it's from John Mayer, but <laughs> he was always, he has this great quote talking about the coldness of digital art. And it's always stuck with me because I, I ingest and, and look at digital art all day long. And so much of it that pops into my head every time I'm like, it just has a coldness to it mm -hmm. uh, because of what, you know, just inherently what it was made on. But that, that the, the, the ability to see the paper and like the way that the colors move together with paint or, or gouache or whatever, I just, there's no substitute for that. And I think that's why I will always want to get better at traditional media because so many things happen that you just can't plan with with procreate or and like you know there's there's really amazing brushes with brush dynamics that the colors mix together really nicely or it pulls together but at the end of the day it's code and i would much rather use chemistry in the <laughs> real world than code doing it for me but i don't know i've built my living using code to make art so <laughs> i can't can't complain about it it's just uh eh, you still i think can. it's just more of what i'm growing into yeah but, yeah i i don't want to i don't want to late like belabor this idea or this thought so much but i do think it ties into it and i again i still have other things there i'm like ah this this is uh something that jeff would have a, a very unique perspective on but um kids that maybe had no other way than to put paint on canvas or pencil yeah. or ink onto paper didn't really get much time to think about what did that mean? What's the permanence? You know, it, yeah. think of how common it was back then for an oil painting of the patriarch of the family to be hung in the home. Yeah. And now if yeah. we saw, if I went to your house and saw that your dad had that, I'd be like, what? <laughs> what? Did they own slaves? What, what is happening here? <laughs> what a lunatic. Yeah, I would, would just think it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would hate it. But I understand that for them, it was capturing what, what, you know, percentage of people lived and there's no record that they ever existed. And now all of us yeah. want it just in the same way that someone spray paints on a dumpster and we go, oh, that's so dumb. What are you tagging a dumpster? And I know someone was there. That's their yeah. smallest way of saying I was here. I was here. I existed for this moment yeah. on this dumpster behind this grocery store. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Twig was here. I don't know Twig personally, but he was here yeah. or she. Twig's going, yeah, they're going through it. Seems like they're <laughs> trying to get some stuff out there. And then you have yeah. now like you know, paintings that we refer to like Picasso and things, and then you would have uh, digital art and then NFTs and maybe a whole generation of people going, oh, you you generations before us were so silly in thinking there was any permanence. You made us go to estate sales and this, this table yeah. matters to us. Like, well, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care about your physical things. Care. None of this exists. The sun will burn out. The universe will cease to exist. Yeah. You gotta get that through your head. And we're like, no, hang my painting up, please. Yeah. But look at this canvas stapled to wood with an image on it. Like that's somehow the most iconic moment of art is is specifically canvas in a frame with oil paint that has been dubbed <laughs> the most important. Like I don't know. I, and I always find like I think another like it's like sculpture. You look at the sculpture and sculpture in, in marble, that's like the pinnacle of of the, you know, that's what fine art is, is the, you know, the a Greek god sculpted in marble it's like is it or is that just what we found is that just because it lasted in the ground so long <laughs> like it's like is that just because it's around and it holds up i don't know same with oil paint it's just what is the most permanent material and is the hardest to get rid of how many you know sketches and gouache and all these from old painters that we just don't have because they just didn't last long enough and i think that's what's interesting about yeah talking about like the digital world where now we have it it's too permanent it's it's around forever and then taking that even one step further into the blockchain and nfts and it's like that's the whole thing is like it's going nowhere and it's always forever whatever you do is always recorded and forever will be you know the fly in amber digitally yeah and it's like cool man whatever dude i don't know like it's it's part of me gets really excited about that permanence of things and then Another part of me, probably a bigger percentage is, and this talk goes back to like the artist being famous after they die. 
something there's something super attractive about being forgotten i love the idea of just it you're just gone and no one remember like that's that's exciting to me just because i think we all spend so much of our lives like exactly like twig spending so much of their life being like remember me remember <laughs> remember this dumpster but like <laughs> at the end of the day no one will remember you know it's however many years it takes for you to be gone I just like the idea of that that moment, the moment you truly are forgotten. And art is, I think it's such a such a natural way to always be like, hey, I was here. This is the thing that I, I made. Hopper being like, hey, this is me. The art is me. Yeah. And I love that idea. But part of me also feels comfort in just being like, it's it's freeing, I think, to make art knowing that you will be forgotten. It's hel- I think for me, it's helpful to just be able to then create and not get hung up in the details and, oh, what are you going to think of it? It's like, whatever, man, You're, it's it's all going to go away. So just Yeah, I think enjoy. that's that vein that yeah. Dave Clock tied into. It's just yeah. a fundamental understanding. You can only hold on to it sometimes for so long. Some people lose it and then they get stagnant or they go right back into churning out stuff over and over and over and yep. processing, yep. how do I feel right now? What groove am I in? You know, people bring yep. up the flow state. All those, yep. it's, totally. it, you can't just have, you can't go the same speed all the time. There's going to be these like, and for some people, you know, manic levels and then recessive back into like, I'm completely incapable of doing anything. And you're just hopeful you can stay somewhere maybe in the middle of those things. Yeah. And I think if you are in the middle, and I think a lot of artists feel, I, I know I feel this speaking for myself is if I'm in that middle flow state creating, I don't feel like I'm doing my best work. I feel like I'm in a nice you know, comfortable state, but I don't feel like I'm redlining at that creative, you know, top of the line, whatever production uh, talent level. I just don't think I'm feeling my full potential, I guess. But at the end of the day, you can't, you can't operate at that level. Like you said, you can't be at that redline state. Otherwise you just burn out. And I, I go through this every day. I I talk to my business partner about this because he's also an artist, but we, we talk about, uh, how much how much like creative juice do you have today and we always we always talk about it like it's a little vial of juice <laughs> that goes up and down every day yeah because and i and i know you you felt this as like you know as a, a, a you as an artist as well and as a, a stand up comedian and a writer i think anyone trying to do anything creative you only get an x amount of juice that day and depending on all the factors of your life that can go way up or way down and you find yourself just hitting that wall certain times of the day. If you if you're forced to be creative for your job, it becomes a muscle. But that muscle is only given X amount of fuel that day. Yeah. And I know there's people out there. You you hit weeks in a row, like where you're like, I literally have nothing. I don't have and like for a week straight. I can't think of a good idea. I have no <laughs> idea what's going on. Yeah. And then it'll just click. You have you go for a walk or whatever you do to to you know jolts that muscle back into movement and then your creativity comes back and you, at least you have those ideas and i used to work in an ad agency where it, ideas were king was the premium and that's what we paid you got paid for ideas and i hated it because it cheapened the idea of creativity to me i hated how one it was just like everything was throwaway everything was a pitch nothing was really that sacred until the client bought it. Ooh, then now that's a good idea. It's like, well, those other ideas were good. It just wasn't exactly yeah. what Pepsi Cola wanted. <laughs> and you're like, cool. like, look at everyone now in ads doing something like, yeah, we moved in, but um, we have a, a, a mole problem. And then there's yeah. some band called Mole like playing <laughs> in their living room. And you're like, ah, oh, man. And they all do that. They all do some version of like a play that's on words. It. Or you're like, someone that day yeah. got to strut around the office like, Guys, they bought my idea. Like it wasn't yeah. yours. This has we been going it. on. Yeah, you just uh, and that it's, level of like stealing or inauthenticity. Yeah, I think artists, anyone that would consider themselves as someone who makes something with the with this, this the slightest hint of authenticity or artistic merit, hates that because oh, they go, absolutely. just at least pretend that you're trying to find something new or original. Yes. Just pretend. Yeah. Yeah, just and it felt it's exactly just just lie. Just be like this is original. It's like we all know it's not, but pretend it is. Uh the the agency I worked at, it was it was totally that. It was like it was just recycling 
we would we would be in meetings watching old ad campaigns being like how can we skew this enough <laughs> yeah and i'm like this is insane where's the sheets we're a betting company and yeah. this did pretty well for wendy's where where's yeah. the sheets no where's the sheets new yeah. ideas what Craig, if we come said, on. yeah think differently instead <laughs> of think different you know it's like hey, we can put an ly on it and this is great <laughs> it's just so dumb and the other, I have massive gripes with the advertising industry just coming up in it, but uh, so much of it is is just for other a- agencies that you know, ad people. You're my my little soapbox of advertising agencies and advertising industry is like you you're actively, and I tell young kids that I talk to about like the career paths. I'm like, just so you know, in advertising, you're going into an industry that people are actively trying to get rid of at any point in their life. Netflix was completely based on, hey, that whole industry, we don't do. Like, we If no I were ads. a billionaire, I would sell TVs that allowed you the option to black out the screen with a little timer just so you didn't have to see or hear advertising. That I you mean, that's like, an incredible oh. idea. You know how many people would buy that? Everyone. Yes. Everyone would just be like, that's incredible. Of course <laughs> I would do that. I'd be like, ostracized by all of my billionaire peers. They'd get, you, yeah. ah, they, that's hard on us. I don't care. I'm selling it okay. for like 50 bucks too. I hate yeah. you guys. It's amazing. And mental health would skyrocket. People mm-hmm. would love it. It's so, yeah, there's a, I watch, when I watch, um, I watch basketball on the ESPN app. And it's so funny because when there's a commercial break on the internet version, like the app version, yeah. it doesn't play the commercials. Uh, it'll just have a loader screen that says commercial break. We'll be right back with your programming. The best. And I was like, this is very enjoyable. Yeah. I, I really like this that it just kind of, cause it just doesn't play. So I don't know. Going back to creativity in in that space, when when I think creativity is your job, uh, you you learn the tricks and you turn it into a muscle, and it becomes more of like I can conjure up what I need to hit the deadline. But to me, there's just that to me isn't authentic. I think that sep- is separate from art. I think that's you know you're just good at generating the formula of what that deadline needs yeah instead of something truly creative coming in and an idea that then turns into this whatever a painting a joke uh something more to me there's just more depth there and more layers where i would always see that the most glaring and you know being in comedy for sure i don't know if you were you would say oh yeah yeah that makes sense to me but when you're in it when you're going to open mics and you're around comedy all the time you know you you're in that that um the current, the current's moving and you can feel every kind of obstacle it navigates around or every bank, it sort of turns around every, every Island it splits around. You, you just feel like you're in that where you go, Oh, so-and-so did that. Oh, that rock back there already happened. This, this tree that we already passed, you, you get a sense for like where comedy is moving and people that have been out of it. Movie stars would always do this. And, uh, I would watch maybe a special by like someone like Robin Williams, God rest him, bless his soul. Very talented. Bit of a joke thief, so I think it's okay to go after as far as like a target of saying, but when he would do a thing that could sell out like Carnegie Hall, it would be like an HBO special, and people who love him as an actor that don't follow comedy religiously would go there and love it. But comedians would watch and be like, oh, he's clearly been out of the current. This person just stepped out, took a private jet further up the stream, plopped in, and went, oh, what's everyone talking about right now? Got it. And we we would all go, oh, you missed Uh, it. That that rock happened back there. That tree happened. You got to be in it. You got to be flowing with it to know all the little nuances. I I love that. That feels, that hits home so hard to me because I... I try to explain that phenomenon to people and that's like the perfect way to explain it because you do meet people that they, they are they are technically good at it and you're like, but you just don't have the the essence of what we're all experiencing together because we're doing this every night and we're out there, you know, and another another part of comedy that I, I, I'm sure you, you've seen a million times over the years uh also, I just kept thinking about the Bill Hicks rock and how big that <laughs> rock is. And you go to every open mic and you're like, guys, that rock is so huge. Stop doing that one. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a mountain behind it. Stop. Oh, yeah, and the Jesselnik one. We get it. Dark one-liner. Stop. Stop it. <laughs> and, uh, the, uh, but the way that I, I try to describe, uh, it's adjacent to the idea that you just described where where there's, it's, I think it goes back to just inauthenticity and people who are genuine and authentic in comedy you meet people who have learned 
comedy, but they're not funny. Mm-hmm. They're they're not a funny person, and they're not funny, dude. I like, I so I booked a variety show for a bit, and I, and I would get submissions, and yeah. I, I would always tell them, hey, I only really book my friends. I've been doing this a long time. I know a lot of comedians. I, it's a monthly show, and there's usually only like four comedians. Yeah. Okay, but here's my tape. And uh, the takeaway is exactly what you're saying over and over. Yeah. It's like, I can't imagine this person making their friends laugh. That's exactly I it. I think they have the tools. I think they know how to hold the mic. They know how to look around. They know how to walk. They know how to go. Like, yeah. um, so like, and I just, yeah. I, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, they have the cadence. Mm-hmm. They have the, totally. Uh, I remember, do you know Rick Glassman, the mm-hmm. comedian? He's in Los Angeles, but I saw him do a set at Meltdown years ago. And people have done versions of this over the years. This is just the one that I remember. But he was just speaking in gibberish. And he was it was this very like alt version of it was kind of like, but he was just doing the cadence of setup, punch, tag, and yeah. and it was and it was nothing. Like like you if the transcript was written, oh, it was gibberish. Andy Daly did that years ago on like oh, a comedy uh, death ray before it was bang bang how many death ray yeah. cd they yeah. put out an album like one of their nights and he would just ramble on and they go what is this 1997 <laughs> 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 all these yeah. little silly exactly yeah. what you're talking about i just love that i love that like, so much and it's like it makes no sense but it is in the cadence of of the trick that comedy can be if you just know the structure and you know the the if you can if you can turn it into the gimmick yeah and and I, I, you see those people all the time. They stand out so quickly because you talk to them off stage, and you're like, "Whoa, you are horrifically boring." Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, "Holy shit!" Like it's unbelievable. Yeah. And then you meet some people who have never done stand up in their life, and you're like, "You're the funniest person I've ever met in my life." You're like, "Oh the my god." The amount of funny people that have quit or just never really pursued stand up that I've yeah. interacted with, yeah, it just baffles me. I just yeah. feel like I some people have stuck with it, and I I know people that I subjective but have had pretty steady careers that i would go i didn't see that coming ah, not that funny not that great <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. you like i didn't like, that's such a nice way to say it. didn't see that coming my uh my buddy uh had a really great way of saying someone was not as funny as they thought uh i asked i i was at a festival with them and i was like oh was that person funny and it was so delicate and so gentle but it just made me laugh so hard because it was so laser focused sharp he was just like yeah they made a lot of good points i was like oh great <laughs> that's <laughs> a like, hard that's, one oh. that's rough dude <laughs> i hate when i would get off stage and i knew someone had uh their own like hierarchy of compliments great set yeah. hey you're funny oh that was really good and um good effort or you know if someone good gave effort. me one yeah, of those yeah, yeah. those oh. i would just be like rough I'm gonna I'm gonna laser my eyes through you because yeah. maybe they had killed and I thought their jokes were terrible and now they're giving yep. me the uh, hey you know nice work up there uh, and I'm like uh-uh, yeah, try. I'm not taking this from you and no. you're like <laughs> pantomiming your dog having worms I, I can't live with that yeah dude I just saw you hump the stool relax <laughs> come on bro yeah <laughs> but going back to this is one of my tie-ins this is there's so many more have bubbled up but this is one that I want to get back to a uh, I'm logging this for myself, but this is one. This ties to like far apart things we talked about, I think, but maybe in a way that is cohesive in what we're talking about in that the finality, the impermanence, the wanting to disappear or, or being comfortable with that and knowing like that frees you up to know, you know, you are, your, your vial is low. You don't have a ton of juice that day. And maybe you make the mistake, which everyone does of going like, but I'll still try. And you start yeah. drawing or you start writing, you start doing whatever. Oh. And then 10 minutes in, you go, okie doke. And for oh, me boy. lately, it's been headphones on, music, writing. Yeah. So I'll yeah. go, I'll have no juice and I'll type like interior, period, someplace. And then I'll start writing. I'll get like two lines in and be like, headphones off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Time to do something else. No juice. Yeah. But anyway, that, that doesn't tie in so much as the idea of so the, the juice, the vial, the the impermanence of it can be freeing because you can say, I know this doesn't matter. All right, I'm low on juice. It doesn't matter. I, I can do this. And like maybe at the end of it, uh, someone would read it and go, this is funny. And I go, I wrote that on no juice. It, none of it matters. Yeah. I don't have something yeah. you might give someone that was on full juice. They'd go, this is OK. And you're like, yeah. there's full juice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think of cultures and societies where we're always dealing with this. Impermanence can have a number of things. You do something nice for someone in the middle of nowhere. There's no security cameras ever going to catch it. They're certainly not going to be interviewed. It is just an act you did for someone that no one will ever know about. And it feels very freeing to know, like, I did this for no reason other than this might help their day out. 
Yeah. And people that make evil decisions probably do it in the same way. None of this matters. I can yeah. I can bury this person under my floorboards and no one's going to care. That's fine. And then we would hope they would go the first route. Like, ah. And societies that built these beautiful, ornate uh, sarcophaguses and things, we unearth them later because we yeah. realize it doesn't matter. There's no problem. We go, this must have been like the ruler or something. I don't know. He's like the king. I don't know. They thought he was the best guy. This is how his teeth would have clacked together when he was talking. And we're just like handling the skull. <laughs> no reverence for the thing that person was buried in, the, the yep. urns and the vases and everything around them. We don't care. And maybe we would say that is the progression of society and humanity being driven by something different, business or yeah. uh, achievement. And the people that made those urns, that made the sarcophagus would say, well, you spent so much time and like the way it felt for that paint to go onto the ceramic that took forever to dry. That's yeah. what we wanted society to be, to care about these things. And then we would look at, you know, you're, we do comedy and art. The, yeah. the the thing you're trying to elicit 99% of the time is a smile, is someone to like yeah. feel a little better. Yeah. And then you think of like comedian destroys heckler or you yeah. think of uh, <laughs> my next guest on this show and all these talk shows that are like, he owned them. They got owned by so-and-so. And <laughs> I can't imagine them drawing. I can't imagine them making anything creative. Yeah. And maybe that's the, the, the why or the fork in the road where – the art society goes ahead and yeah, like, oh, don't touch that sarcophagus. An artist made that. Be careful. Yeah. Be careful. And the other side goes ahead and is just like, they made a lot of money. Unearthed it. Crack it open. I destroyed yeah. them. There's just like two very yeah. mirror-like charge, worlds there. Charge tickets to see it. Like that's yeah. it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to make money on it. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I think, I think, I, and I wonder if this has just been a, a concept that's happened over the course of the history of the world is, there's always been the people who want to create and want to make the thing for the sake of making the thing. Yeah. And then there are people who truly are at their core, like I'm going to make money on the person or off the thing <laughs> because <laughs> I know I can. And that's maybe the, you know, their skill set is, is in, you know, selling or exploiting or whatever. And so, yeah, it's a fascinating thing to think about of like what, what truly is important. And I think, I think, you look at art movements over the years and, and you see culture shifting. Cause I, 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 I'm, you know, it, I always think like when cubism was a thing, the whole art world, I always picture in my mind, that's all anyone was doing, but yeah. that's not how it was. Right. You know, that was the reaction to the previous thing before and people were pissed about it. And they're like, what is this? And then now we have hindsight to go and look at that. So I guess like my point is like, Maybe it was, you know, maybe there are, there's always been these two forks, but we just, you look back in history and you're like, well, there was only one trunk. There, there couldn't have been more than one because it's what we hold dear. We hold these, you know, the, the Renaissance is the one thing that was happening. Yeah. And so nothing outside of the Renaissance was allowed to be happening because we just don't have any record of it. I um. I don't know if that makes that much sense. In my head, it makes so much no, sense. No, it does <laughs> because you think of, it was like basically the portrait artists, the landscapes, and then you had the impressionists just being kind of silly. Yeah. But we never hear of the third group that was like, oh, well, they were just splashing paint on canvases. We, and maybe they yeah. were doing something, maybe they were weaving textiles and things that yeah. we, do, we still don't really hold in the same regard as canvas with staples with. Totally. Yeah. I like, uh, I took a class in college that opened up my eyes to that idea but it was called renaissance art out of the canon mm -hmm. and it was essential so it was exactly that art that wasn't happening it, it was during the renaissance time but it was everything outside of the european canon sphere and gaze of of the art that we know that is renaissance art and it was fascinating because it you're just like oh yeah this existed too and so much of the focus of the class was a lot of like islamic art and that was fascinating because you don't hear about that but it was happening at the same time a lot of that was happening on ceramics and it was like plates and vases and things like that. And it would come through the Venice trading channels through Italy. But a lot of this was coming through from like Turkey and the Ottoman Empire and, and the Middle East. And you don't hear about that. That's not a lot, you know, that's not in the big museums. That isn't the, the famous Renaissance paintings that you see. One, because it's not religious based. Islamic, they wouldn't, it was all you know, floral patterns and they weren't painting their profit. They were painting, you know, scenes and patterns and different colors and beautiful ornate things. 
And that was fascinating to me. I was like, oh yeah, there's a whole world. I mean, it's so Anglo-centric to be like, there's more than white people. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's, I don't think people are, I mean, people are definitely not taught that. And it was the first class I had in my senior year in college. It took me that long in art school my whole life to get to a class that was like, hey, other people make stuff too. <laughs> and it's not and it's not just Europeans and it's not just Egypt, the one other place that you're like, oh, they got stuff going on. And so that was interesting to me because then I went down this rabbit hole of looking at, you know, North African architecture in Morocco. And like you find all these different things and you're like, oh, got it. The rest of the world is, have always been making stuff. But you're just taught from a certain age, like this is the what's, famous and important and you learn that at every single decade all the way up until you get here and it's the same thing over and over and over and so i think the thing that i would trip up on there um trip up is probably the word wrong phrase the thing that would like kind of grab my attention and make me reprocess things or, or or maybe like reaffirm them i don't know but if you are at a comedy club and a big time celebrity comes in, yeah. oh, the green room clears out. And, and even if you don't really care, you're probably still trying to peek over the shoulder and see what they're all about. How do they carry themselves? How do they conduct themselves? What's their set like? Can I get in the room yeah. and like, can I catch some of that? And it might not matter to you at all. And then you might be at a gallery or museum, or maybe you're just in someone's house and you're in Algeria or something. And they go, that's 1400 years old. And you're looking at this vase and you're seeing this paint and it moves you. It grabs you in a way you're not expecting. It makes you think of the person that made it knowing they probably died poor. They probably died a barefoot life and they gave you this feeling. This person in the comedy club is, it's obnoxious that we would behave that way. That like the moment they go, they're never going to give me that feeling. And who does? If you're lucky enough, like Dave Clock, who we keep going back to, um, has this woman's elephant is two colors. It's just white. And like you're saying, like gradient tones with yep, the two yep. colors and the elephant is swimming. It's kind of an undershot where you can see all these great light things playing off the surface. And the elephant yeah. is clearly out in the middle of some body of water yep. and it's alone and it's swimming, but it looks kind of happy. And yeah. you can interpret that in like a million ways. And you're looking at it like, is this Edward Hopper? Is this Dave saying I'm this, I'm kind yeah. of, I'm in the unknown and I'm making the best of it and I'm just treading water and it could be a million or it could just be like, I don't know, I thought an elephant was fun. If you can give people those feelings, it doesn't really matter where you came from. You're barefoot. You're the biggest star. You work in an ads agency that might in the art world be like, oh, well, well, he can't be Banksy now. He he was in ads. If you give people a feeling like that, that's you're an artist. You've done it. That's it. You did it. Totally. I, uh, my, the story that made me think of was uh, I had an experience recently where my wife and I went to Santa Fe just for like a weekend. And Meow Wolf? The, did you go check out Meow Wolf? So we did. It was it was interesting because I found myself. So this is about the contrast between what moved me and what I thought was going to move me versus what didn't. Yeah. And uh, we went to the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum, which is in Santa Fe. In an afternoon, we did that first. And then we went to Meow Wolf. And in my mind, I had already just made up because I'm oversaturated with uh, Georgia O'Keeffe's work. I've seen it for years. You know, you're taught it since an early age. And uh, but I didn't know much about her life. And I went through the museum and so many pieces. I was like, whoa, this and I would just sit there and just look at them. And, you know, there there is a beautiful mix of some of her sketches and some of her old work. And you would see her progression into the work that you know and love, like the iconic versions and the flowers and the lilies. But so much work is in that museum that you just have never seen before that her working towards that moment and that decade in her life. And I found that so interesting and moving and was fascinating. And then we're like, awesome. Like, this is great. Let's go to Meow Wolf and it'll be even crazier. And then you get to Meow Wolf and I was like, that's fine. I was like, it's, <laughs> I was like, this is cool. But I think I, I would have appreciated Meow Wolf more if I hadn't just gone to Georgia O'Keeffe. I was like, whoa, I still have that so fresh in my mind. And the emotions and like the, the things that I was feeling in that museum from that art totally put a shadow over Meow Wolf because they're one, literally universes apart visually and yeah. experientially. Mm-hmm. And and then it turned into Meow Wolf and it it clouded my ability to to find the the conceptual meat in Meow Wolf. So much of Meow Wolf, I was like, this is technically incredible. 
you're going around, you're like, oh my God, like the ability to make these visuals and experiences, that truly was mind blowing. But I didn't have any moment of like, whoa, cool. Like that, that really spoke to me. It just was like, awesome. These guys are great artists. Cool. <laughs> and so, yeah. And now, now Denver has a Meow Wolf and I'm excited to go. I'm going to check it out in more of a vacuum. I'm going to like spend the time, prepare myself for it, then, then experience it outside of having a previous art experience carrying that into it. And so I don't know if that speaks to what you're saying, but just kind of feeling different things from different mediums. I think that our expectations and maybe that's a big thing of society that uh, kind of, I don't want to say like it bums me out, but if you tell a society what's cool, a lot of times they'll go, oh man, that's fire. That's the current one yeah. now. Oh, that's fire. Yeah, yeah, it's lit. Like, yeah. Oh, I hate it so much because like, did you give it any thought? Yeah. You'll just go connect these, you'll collect shoes made by a company that builds them on the backs of children and the impoverished. Mm-hmm. And, but you just see the end result. You see the commodity and someone told you it was good. Someone told yeah. you like the marketing strategy behind it was really good and yeah. you'll just buy them up. Yeah. And it's Perceived always baff- scarcity is so important yeah. these days. We're only releasing a thousand. <laughs> By the way, children made them. Oh yeah. my god, I got one of the pairs. Great also, we can get me. those. We can get those kids to make more, but we're not going to. <laughs> They're going to make different things. Yeah. Like, when great. I was in uh, uh, Santa Fe, similar thing. I didn't. I went to George O'Keefe, but it was really crowded, and so I just kind of oh. saw some of the entry stuff and thought, like, I'll come back, and I ended up not yeah. having time. Yeah. Went to the Tent Rocks, which is like an, a native people's, um, you know, preserved kind of like where they lived and how they lived. Cool. Yeah. And some of it's just natural geological, you know, things in the earth. And then the thing that you're not supposed to really appreciate is walking through when you see like a gallery of stores. Well, here's yeah. a bunch of like handmade jewelry. This is turquoise. And then here's a bunch of like photography of nature. And you, you just get used to being like, that's gift shop stuff. Yeah, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, whatever. yeah, this. And then there are these like things made out of wood that blew my mind. And I and I I would imagine the artist was like, Yeah, yeah, this is just where I could get storefront space, but and I'm next to great artists. You just think it's been cheapened because it feels like every other yeah. gift shop row. But then Meow Wolf was just different. They all had a different thing. Yeah. George O'Keefe was not soured, but it was so popular, I felt yeah. like people were going, Oh, this is fire. This is and yeah, I I go is the one yeah this is how you gotta gotta see this and then no one is looking at these wood things that yeah just and that's to me if you can get yourself to that place it's a starting point totally to to someone to like my partner doesn't watch a ton of stand-up so like if i see her laughing every now and and we haven't watched it in a long time but long if she'd be at a show laughing she might go this person's good and i'd be like that person's very famous. Do you know who that is? And she yeah, go, yeah, that's I, John Mulaney. <laughs> like, and she right. go, oh, okay, yeah, they're good. And I just liked that there was just a clear kind of, I'm not going in swayed or, you know, yeah. the, no one's influence has tainted me going in. I love that. I love, and I, I think we definitely, our, our experience almost was opposite. Yeah, because the day we went to Georgia Keefe, it was empty and it was a really nice experience and Meow Wolf was packed. And then, and right now, I was just having this conversation. Uh, I don't know if you know the comedian Sam Talent. Um, uh, yeah, I think we've met. I know his name for sure. Yeah, Sam's awesome, Denver guy. But he, uh, he, the the Banksy art exhibit is in Denver right now, which I think it's traveling around. But um, he went to it, and we just had this nice conversation in a green room the other night about Banksy and just how, when when he started, it was Banksy was this incredible force of the art world and subversive and whatever whatever and is you know kind of raging against this machine of the art world and commentating on that and and it was so big and then now it's like you're you're that machine now you've yeah. become the thing that you hated or you were comment like commenting on and it's like it's cool because it's it's almost nostalgic of like you look at Banksy's working like I remember when I loved this stuff but he was just saying it's like it doesn't really hit as hard anymore you know, it's kind of it's kind of watching the the old comedian who sold out arenas and then they're still doing the same joke t- twenty years later, and you're like, oh, yeah. damn! You brought up this, Bill huh? Hicks, and one time, you know, and and I'm Austin was like where my my roots are, and so he's revered there. And yeah. I remember when I got to LA, a comedian I respect was like, you know, if we're honest. If he were here right now in the improv, he'd be sitting over in the corner in a trench coat, smoking, going, you know, back in my day. Yeah. And he'd be like, no, no way. But you're like, if I'm no, honest, yeah, yeah it probably would be That's a little true. of that. You know, there'd be a yeah. little of like 
the yell. I hope not. He just seemed like someone that was so elevated and wanted to, to kind of uh, yeah. transcend things. But yeah. yeah, like you're saying, it's inevitable. Yeah. You're gonna kind of latch on yeah. to what worked. Yeah, I love I love the analogy that you said earlier of like the current, like moving with the current of things, and it's like you get old enough or you do it long enough and you just don't have the energy to stay in that strong of a current. And so yeah. you do get left behind or, you know, take a break, you come back and you're like, Oh, whoa, I am I'm either behind or I just, I just liked how it was back there. I liked my, <laughs> I liked my rock back there. And I'm going to tell all these young kids that it used to be better back there. It's like, all right, sure, man. It's like, well, you're in a, a lucky moving. spot too. Cause you're still a young artist. Think of bands that blow up and then maybe yeah. they step out of it for 15 years. But some part of them is like, but inside of us, even though we were that comedian that was getting special treatment and getting everyone's, you know, like undivided sort of step out of the green room, that that sort of VIP velvet rope treatment you get, it yeah. changes you. And maybe yeah. as that goes oh. away, you remember, oh, in this, in this chest beats the heart of an artist, as yeah. dumb as that yeah. sounds. No, you, it's you, true. You call up the other guys in the band and you're like, Hey, remember we were starting out? Do you miss that? And they'd all be like, "Yes, yes. they're just floating in my pool. I hate it. I want to like feel yeah. energized again. I want to feel excited to make something unique and cool." And then sometimes they do, yeah. and it sounds like one year after they broke up. Yeah, <laughs> and other times they do, and it sounds kind of different and new and fun. And you're like, "Oh, right, artists made this. They grew. Yeah. They changed. This is how they got there." And mm-hmm. I think I think it's like business gets in the way of those things. Money obviously gets in the way just living trying to get a you know make a living how many artists have you talked to where art becomes their job stand up becomes their job and they're like i hate it now like yeah. it's just it's what it what happens and so i think for me going back to the the painting like that's what that has been it's been a it's been a an escape from churning out art for uh, a product for clients and for you know needing needing to have always having a creative director always having feedback always having that that notes loop yeah no one can give me feedback on my painting other than cool or i don't like it or i do you know it's like whatever They're like oh you should you know i don't get an email saying here's the the line items i think of things i need you to change yeah i don't take commissions and so it's like it's great i love that that's so freeing to me and you see so many artists who are like okay i'm just gonna do what the client needs the label if it's music or whatever or like comedians who are like well my first album sold out all these arenas gonna have to keep doing that and then they just get trapped and they can't yeah. evolve into maybe what they wanted to be when they started they just learned the thing that made the money and you get trapped and i'm i think you see that with some people who are more successful in our industry and comedy specifically where they just you you talk to them and you're like oh you're trapped you feel like you're you can't get out of this and it's yeah. a bummer it's really sad because you're like, no, just go do the thing you want to do, you know, but <laughs> you can't. Do you know uh, the comedian Tommy Jonigan? Oh, yeah. So he's, to some comedians, you know, kind of a well-known name, sort of famous, to a, an average, you know, like Thursday or you know, maybe Wednesday or Sunday night crowd at the Improv, he's yeah. just the comedian. Yeah. And so he went on stage and it was very clear that the crowd was not like giving him a standing ovation to start. They, they didn't maybe know who he was, but he was yeah. then doing a ton of comedy. So he's at like the peak of his... powers and he does his first joke and it's just kind of a smattering and he goes all right just let's all remember that's where we started yeah that's who has the awareness and it's like a ballsy move it's kind of cocky to say yeah it's gonna get better but no when you're good at something you know all right you guys don't know who i am you don't trust me i can do this i can do this it's gonna this is great you almost appreciate it oh good 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 yeah you don't know who i'm and you don't like me and you you're giving me nothing great and i always thought like why don't comedians that get bigger go do stuff under a fake name, walk on stage yeah. and, and have to earn it, you know, go, go yeah. to a different country. They're not going to know you everywhere and just no. see how it goes. See if you, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love would that. like if artists had to kind of earn it all the time that way, you know, th- that yeah. little bit of a chip or something. Yeah. You'll see some comics who, who have gotten so comfortable where they, they do the, they dig themselves a hole and they like, they try to be unlikable at the start. And then they're like, let's see if I can get out of this. Yeah. And it's, this, yeah, I'm like, Oh, that's a fun thing to watch. I, would, I can't do that, but it's, it's <laughs> seems like a fun thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. You, your dad being a preacher, we didn't really talk yeah. about that, but I mean, that is, yeah. that must come up all the time and ha- you, you're affable. You're a pleasant fellow. It doesn't seem like you have this 
tortured angst of, oh man, I was dealing with these dogmas, but I kind of felt maybe a little differently. I didn't like kind of go into it the way it was expected or hoped for. Was there any, like, was there tension there? Not really. I mean, the the most tension we had was going to a Christian college and I didn't want to go. Like Mm -hmm. that's, I just didn't. So my, my parents, my aunt and uncle, my brother and sister, uh, my grandparents, they all went to a very hyper conservative Christian college, Bible college in South Carolina. And I'm the youngest. And so by the time it rolled around for me, they were just tired. I think <laughs> they were just like, nah, we're good. And I, I fought it pretty hard. Like they, they weren't very, they weren't pushy, but it was just what they knew. And, you know, they weren't like, you have to go. They just were like, this is what we know. This is what your brother and sister did. You're probably going to do that. And I just was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And so I ended up going to the University of Colorado, uh, very far away from any sort of conservative Bible college. Uh, but it was close to home. And, and I think my parents were on board as soon as they were like, well, it's just a school. Like, it's not going to, you know, I'm still who I am, but I didn't really run into any, it's so funny. I feel like people feel like you have to be, to be an authentic artist, you have to live a hard life or you have to have some sort of, you know, traumatic events or whatever it is. I think that that kind of, especially in comedy, it seems like you're not interesting if you're, if you're happy, Mm -hmm. you're allowed, you know, people are like, Oh, you gotta be, you know, there's needs to be a darkness that follows to, to be creative, I guess. I don't really believe in that. I just, I think for me where it came from, like I said, up top, it's like, I think it comes from just not feeling like I fit in. I didn't really feel like I had a place ever, but I was really good at faking, finding ways to, to feel like I fit in, in those places, if that makes sense. But with the, the church stuff, and that was another thing with the church. I, I went to a public school, but I was like the best kid at the public school. Cause I came from like a very conservative church life. <laughs> so I wasn't doing anything bad at school. So everyone was like, Oh, you're like kind of the, the good kid, the, you know, church guy. But then at church, because I went to a public school, I was like the bad public school kid. <laughs> So it was like every, I was like, uh, you know, because I would curse, you know, I would say fuck or whatever. It's like, all right, cool, man. And so, again, it was like low stakes, but seeming like I wasn't in the right place at church. I was like, well, I don't, these people, these aren't my people. And then in public school, people would be like, you're not our people. And I'd be like, weird, okay. And then so I just kind of felt like that every step of the way. Um, I think until I I had a job doing design and illustration and i think that was one of the first moments truly that i was like whoa everyone here loves exactly what i love to a t you know a lot of the same i met a lot of the same people who were just like me who who liked art who liked sports who liked design i just found a group that i hadn't really run into before um i had run into people along the way but not a chunk and so that's i think where i, I I then was a little bit more comfortable. And I think that's also just probably growing up. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think the, the, the comedy I think came out of one watching performances. It's, it's very cynical to say, but churches, it's just showbiz. That's all churches are. They're showbiz. Like Sam Kinison. Bus- I mean, you're, you're, you're like a different version. His dad was <laughs> yeah, like a traveling yeah. preacher. A and less so- coked up version of, <laughs> of Sam Kinison. Yeah, I mean, it's it's exactly that. Like, it's you watch, a, like a, a cartoonish version of that is if you watch these mega church, you know, preachers, they are performers. That's what they are, and like, it kind of goes back to comedy where you can see these comedians who are selling out arenas, and it's like, okay, at one point they did have the soul of what they wanted to do. There is a a foundation of what got them there. Maybe that preacher did truly believe what they were preaching at one point. But it definitely has turned into something that isn't what they started out as. Yeah. And that message is completely muddied by the the pageantry that is the machine now pushing that mega church. I think my my dad's a great example of someone who has never really wavered from that. He's always been he's always preached what he's believed and he's lived it. And that's what I love about him. He really hasn't ever gone down this road of like, let's just see how much money we can make from this thing. Yeah. Cause I, you know, you see those people along the way uh, in churches, especially it's they're filled with just a lot of manipulative people. It's in every industry, but it's always so glaring in, in a church setting where yeah. the foundational message is you're supposed <laughs> to be X, Y, Z and you're pushing actively against it. And so 
that was always fascinating to me. But on just a more superficial level, I just watched a lot of good public speaking growing up. I saw really my dad's an incredible public speaker. I, I saw the just how to handle yourself on a stage. And that's probably one of the biggest compliments. I'm not the funniest person on the planet. I don't think I am. I think I'm okay comedian. Like I'm fine. <laughs> I I love doing stand up, but like no one ever is after like, dude, you're the funniest person I've ever seen. Like it's always like I do fine. But do you say that to people? No, I said no. Never like on I stage. I think that's or such anything. a weird thing. Yeah. That's the funniest best thing I've ever yeah, seen. That's the greatest. That's true. Maybe you just yeah. appeal to like people that say that and are you friends yeah. with people that say that? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But like, I, I think I am uh, uh, the biggest compliment that I get uh, uh, when I get off stage or like for my comedy is like his stage presence <laughs> is truly like <laughs> the ability to just be on stage in front of people. And it's something that I'm very aware of because I think of church because of growing up in churches. I just know how it looks when you do it well. And th- I just use that to my advantage. I'm also a big person. And so I'm, I'm aware of, I've always been aware of how much space I'm taking up and how I come off to people because being, I'm 6'4", 240 pounds. And so I can go from affable, nice to like, whoa, this guy is a freak, like <laughs> intimidating quickly. I can be, yeah. if I'm in the wrong environment, like I always talk about like women having to walk home at night. And I'm, I'll be out at night and I'm like, I'm the guy people are afraid of. I'm the huge guy at night. I think Mulaney has a joke about that, like following someone in the subway, chasing her down, being like, I'm not a problem. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, your intentions are good. But the way I come off sometimes, I have to be aware of that. So I've always been aware of just my, my presence. Mm-hmm. And I think that, the, and you know, a symptom of that, that helped on stage. And so, again... I, I maybe I credit it should I credit more to growing up in a church, but what I think I pulled the most from was just being able to be in front of a crowd and seeing that three times a week and what that looks like. It's such a trip that uh, to hear that and and never really th- I only, I would only ever think of it in terms of Sam Kinison. You learn the showmanship kind of snake oil version of yes. folks. I'm here to tell you that oh yeah. you've got my attention yeah. and you've scared Woo. me a little and like and you have an answer that's a perfect yep. recipe for I'll keep listening yes scared me a yes. little bit you have the yep. recipe I'm all ears mm-hmm. yep. and then but how many you know musicians and and people came out even if they radically went against the church's leanings or teachings yes. they went oh but I I had to sing at Sunday school I had to I'd be in a gospel totally. choir I had to play organ or guitar or whatever yep. you learn a certain level of showmanship you learn how to take it yeah. seriously that like hey, even if yeah. these people seem like complete jerks to me and it, yeah. maybe they're even you, as you get older you know they believe in some terrible stuff yeah but I also have years and years of learning manners, how to how to yeah. be respectful. I'm just going to play my guitar and do my best, and then I'm never coming back. I'm never coming back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did did I, you stay you going back? Did you did you keep going? No, not really. I I mean, I kept going in in just like uh, it's funny because I my wife has a, a different religious background, but that she is not involved in anymore, and so. Uh, we both had this experience of like, it's, it's, it's kind of baked into us where we, we would go through the motions of doing it. And, and part of me does enjoy going to a church because it does feel nostalgic in a way. Mm-hmm. But uh, I haven't been in years, but I, we used to go to this. It was a mega church. And, and the comedian me would just always be like, God, this is weird, man. <laughs> I, you, know, you, you just pinpoint all the show busy parts and you're just kind of like, whatever try not to be too cynical about it. Try to pull the things that you believe in, like from it. And then just whatever, try to let everything else roll off your back. Cause you get burned so hard on it. And you know, religious people can be just the absolute worst humans on the planet. And so I definitely came up through a world that a lot of those people were there. They were very hurtful to my family and just to, you know, just people, they, they suck. People suck. doesn't matter what they believe in. Yeah. They're human. So with that in mind, I would go to this church, but the, the part that I loved about it that I found myself, the one part that kept me going back was it was it was so big that no one knew me. And I loved that idea because I had grown up in such small churches, like meeting in the gyms of high schools and, you know, really tiny congregations. It's like this building of a, of a church where 
you know, it'd be like, if it's one new person, the whole church is like looking over at him like, Hey, we have a visitor today. Let's get him. You know? <laughs> and that was the vibe of every church I'd ever been in. And I went to this mega church and I was like, no one knows you. You can go in, you can just sit there. You don't even have to stay the whole time. You don't even have to go to this. You can just go get coffee, a bagel and walk out the other door. No one knows you're there. Like it's, it's so big. And there was a, a huge comfort in, in that for a long time for me of, it was pushing against the, the, you know, the types of churches that I grew up in. And I was just like, man, this is awesome because it's not like going to church. You would just go and you were doing it. You were doing, you were checking the box, you yeah. know, the, the oh, it's, you know, you, this is cynical, but the guilt box, like I, I went to church this week, you know, I'm, I'm being good and I'm allowed into heaven. <laughs> so, and then you, you you know, you grow up and you realize that's not how it works, but, uh, or that's how I believe it works. So I think now it's more of a an agnostic leaning. Like, I don't know. My, I think to me, if anyone is like, this is exactly how it works. It's like, you don't know. No one knows. So yeah. if you don't lead with, I don't know here, but then here's what I believe. To me, that's so much better than, you know, that, that fear-based, I have the answers. You don't. You need to follow. That to me is is the traumatic part of religion that people run into and that's what they push against, you know, like so many religions are fear-based and it's like, you're going to hell, you're, you're not going to do this X, Y, Z. And so that to me is what I push against so hard now in my life. I just, you know, I don't know exactly what I believe, but I also know it's just kind of like this mix of, it, it always starts with, I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. know, but you know, we'll figure it out from there. And so, yeah. I love it, man. I, um, I think if we go on, it'll be bonus time, if that's okay. That's great. Yeah, we're heading into the bonus. Hope you're enjoying it. A little run on artists here. I'm kind of just booking guests based on who's available, who gets back to me, whose schedule works out. So if you have someone or a topic or anything like that that uh, you'd like to hear discussed, get in touch. Pings at thespacecave.com. I'll do my best. And if you have a guest in mind, please uh, help put me in touch, especially with things like inclusion and diversity. We all got to work together and chip in. So if you know someone, make an effort. I, I'm, I'm excited to do that. I'm um, making my best effort. But as you can see, getting the episodes out on time, staying up to speed, that in itself uh, has lately been enough of a challenge. So it does help the Patreon, web hosting, uh, sto online storage, tech gear, beer, music, all these little things that go into making a podcast. And uh, it helps me feel like it has some value, that it's worth something. So I appreciate that. So again, thanks to Manuel and thanks to you for supporting the show. It just all, um, it all helps and I really appreciate it. And I'll do my best to keep the Patreon full of stuff as I edit sketches and we start getting intercepts shaped up and ready to go out into the world at some point. I will... Um, drop those in there. There's a little bit extra with Sean Mike I'll put in there, some rambles from time to time, some photographs, behind the scenes things. Uh, sometimes there's a stretch where there's not a lot going on in there. And then there are other months where there's a whole bunch of stuff. Hopefully you're just contributing because you like this show, the main show that goes out free without ads. I hope it's a nice place to come and spend an hour and not worry about having to have your uh, train of thought jarred by some sort of advertising other than this one. So anyway, Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Pings at the Space Cave or go to thespacecave.com. Uh, it's on Apple, Stitcher, Tell a Friend, all the standard analytics things, algorithms. I don't know how interactive people are being anymore. You kind of find your podcast and that's that. Um, but if you're new, welcome. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Jeff. It's typically what the shows are like. Sometimes it's with scientists. And nearly got some beer in part two. He went and looked, didn't have it. So we'll get closer to that with me and the guest having some beer inching ever closer to that coming back i know a few of you have referenced that you like that so i'll make that effort okay let's get out of here this is a song by sales it's called can't be yours forever hope you like it thanks for stopping by the space cave
can't be useful. 